watch this real quick. Well, good morning. That bumper intrigue you a little bit? You know, you kind of get a little, a little glimpse into, uh, into what we're doing. I'm really looking forward to this series called How Not to Read Your Bible. Now, here's the subtext under the series. Making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. Now, this title and these topics are some of the toughest things that we've ever tackled as a teaching team. I mean, they just are, but they need to be looked at, and we have to deal with these things head on as a church. And the challenge is to make sure that we get them right. The challenge is not to allow our current culture to determine our view of the Bible, but to let the Bible determine our view of God, because culture wants to do it their way. And they want to have their view of God be everyone's view of God, which is not much of a view at all. And I want to allow the Bible to tell me what my view of God should be. So how many of you have read through or listened to the Bible all the way through in the past? Anybody? Wow, a lot of you have. Okay, yeah, let's give you all a round of applause for that. You're going, yeah, okay, I missed a few weeks in there. Whatever, I'm glad that, that that's you. A little bit surprising. Here's a stat that might blow you away. Are you ready? 90%, 90% of Christians have not or do not read their Bible. You know what that means? They probably have no idea what's in there. Just glimpses, just moments. Maybe you show up to church on a Sunday morning and that's the only Bible that you get. It's such a small snippet of what's in there. And you need to be able to to do more than that. Now, I'm going to assume that everyone in here, because of all the hands that have gone up, that everyone in here has at least read some of the Bible. So let me ask you this question. Do you have any questions about it? (laughs) Is there anything that challenged you as you read through the Scripture? Were there difficult things that kind of through you for a little bit of a loop. Now I'm going to ask you specifically, are there any? Somebody give me one that you were challenged by as you've been reading through the Bible. Somebody tell me one, one thing. What is it? Lamentations. Ezekiel. Okay. So we got some prophetic things happening there. We've got some God stuff happening there. Give me a specific detail of something that has challenged you. The lifespan, early lifespan, like 900 years, like Methuselah, kind of like, that's a, that's a challenge. Somebody else, give me something else that's challenged you specifically as you've read. What is it? When Jesus condemned the fig tree. That's an interesting one. Yeah, you've, you've got to really read all around that to, to be able to figure that one out. Somebody else, give me something else that's challenged you. The flood. That's a good one. Yeah, all those things are definitely challenges. You know, uh, at the 9 o'clock service, somebody said, uh, yeah, where the guy 
offers to throw his daughters out to be raped and save the, you know, save the strangers. That's a challenging one right there, right? I mean, it just is. Uh, the role of women in the Bible, there's a challenging one right there. And if that's not something that's been challenging you, then you haven't talked to a whole lot of women these days. So, I mean, that's, that, that's just kind of how that, that rolls. I think all of us have friends that know that we're Christians. You have friends that know that you're a Christ follower because they hear you talk or they hear you see you going to church or whatever, you've invited them. And when you do that, you open yourself up for them to give you challenging questions, right? They're coming at you. They're going to throw something your way. We've, we've all got friends like that. And maybe they've asked some tough questions about God Maybe they've asked some tough questions about Jesus, uh, uh, about the Bible, just stuff that's difficult. Dan Kimball, the author of this book, How Not to Read Your Bible, uh, talks about going to his barber who did that to him all the time, right? Just tough question after tough question. He said he went in one day and the first statement the barber made to him was, hey, I didn't know that you Christians believe in unicorns. He said, I was kind of taken aback. I didn't know how to respond to that because I had never heard that before. How would you respond if someone said to you, hey, I didn't know you Christians believed in unicorns. How are you responding, Derek? I don't know. I, I've, never, I've never heard of unicorns in the Bible. That's probably how I would have responded, right? I mean, Jim, how are you responding to that? Shake your head. Okay. That's a valid response. The other response, unicorns, what are you talking about? I, I don't know anything about unicorns. You know, you have that. And um, if there's someone in the Bible, something in the Bible that you don't know, that you don't know about, that you don't know the answer to, that's okay. You just say, never heard of unicorns in the Bible before, but I'll go try to find out the answer for you. Now, if you look online, there are several memes that pop up about unicorns. Look at these. Isaiah 34, 7. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. There's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Fat with fatness. And then it takes a poke at Christ followers, and it says, know your Bible. Did you know that? Did you know that that's in there? Have you read that before? The next one says, because the Bible tells me so. Again, taking a poke at us as Christ followers, and it lists several scriptures there. Now, those are interesting, because when you look at unicorns in the Bible, and you look what's happening there, first of all, I'm letting you in on a little secret towards the end of the service, they're there, all right? And I know you say you've read through the Bible, but have you really read through the Bible? Have you seen the things that are there? We're going to come back to that at the end of the teaching today. Now, there are so many more difficult things that our culture brings up. Things like, I can't believe in God because he hates women. Have you heard that? Have you felt that? Has that been part of your life? Has that been part of someone in your family? Again, it's a real popular topic why to hate the Bible and hate church these days. I can't believe that you use your Bible because it says slavery is okay. Ouch. 
Does it? Is that what it says? Ah, so what's the context of that? I can't believe in your Bible because I believe in science and there's no way that I'm going to read your Bible and go to your church because science and the Bible don't mesh together. I had that conversation this morning. Now, he didn't. He was here at church, so that wasn't the first part of it. But he said, I believe in science. I said, that's okay, I do too. But yet there's not really a discrepancy there if you look at the big picture of things. And here's the challenge. Because we haven't read much of our Bibles, we make the assumption on what we believe based on what somebody else says about the Bible. Can you prove or disprove anything in there? Probably not if you haven't read much of it. And maybe even if you have read some of it. Do you have a belief system based on it? Or do you just follow the cultural memes and the cultural trends as to what they say about the Bible? Or is it what you really believe about it? A lot of things happen on basically small type things. Things like this. <laughs> you can't eat shrimp as a Christian. Let me just ask you, anybody here like shrimp? Yeah? Yeah? Here's what it, here's what it says, Leviticus 11.9. All of the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat. Did you know it said that? Have you read your Bible? Did you, did you know? That's a command from God. So January 1st, my wife and I's 35th wedding anniversary. We, oh, thank you. I don't know how she's put up with me for 35 years, but she has, and I'm grateful for that. So we went out to eat. We decided we were going to Red Lobster, and guess what I got? Shrimp combo, Walt shrimp and popcorn shrimp, and a really cold baked potato. So that doesn't have anything else to do with this, but that's just what it was. So, so you look at that challenge with, with Scripture, and if we choose not to read Scripture, we may not understand that there's more to it than taking one verse by itself and making an assumption and making that our viewpoint without reading everything around it. Maybe even more challenging of a situation is when people do read their Bibles and they walk away from God because of what it says. You know people like that? I had a friend in college, his name was Jim, and uh, Jim was incredibly talented. I mean, he in college, in Bible college, seminary, he was a great, a great speaker. I mean, great speaker. He was an incredible musician. Uh, everybody pegged him to be the best pastor coming out of college in the next 10 years. That's how good he was. Me, on the other hand, nobody thought that. Anyway, we'll just bypass that. That's my own insecurity. But we, we, Jim got a great ministry job after he graduated. He moved to Colorado, and then things kind of fell apart. 
His life fell apart. His ministry fell apart. Life didn't go as he had expected. And something changed. Several years later, I ran into Jim at a burger restaurant here in Cincinnati. And I was excited to see him. I hadn't seen him in, in several years. And I said, what's going on, man? How, how, how's things going? What? And I knew something had happened. I said, what happened in Colorado? And he looked at me with a stone blank face. And he said, listen, I'm just going to lay it out there. I started really reading the Bible and dealing with people and their needs and their wants and, and their desires. And I just don't believe it anymore. Just, I, I just don't believe it. It's too messed up. There's nothing in it for me. And he took his food and he walked out. It's the last thing I've seen him. That's devastating. Because you figure by the time you get to Bible college, at least you've got a little bit of, of desire to follow God, right? Like you've got some of that figured out, which is completely false, by the way, in case you don't know that. Not true. But you would think that would be the truth. But there are so many of those stories out there. The author writes this one. He said, one girl wrote, I read the Bible cover to cover twice in my youth. I remember encountering verses that made me feel uncomfortable, but I dismissed them. I started reading it again last year, and I got to the sixth chapter of Genesis before dropping my head and crying. The God I believed in was a monster. That's devastating. That's devastating for everyone. There are good people out there, people that are our friends, people that are our family, our kids, our neighbors, people that we love that have a lot of questions about some of the things that they've read in the Bible. And some of those things are tough. And some of those things are the reasons that they've chosen not to believe anymore. And if we the people in this room right now, the people listening online, if we, if we aren't willing to dive in to some of the answers and not just say, well, I don't know an answer to that. Uh, you just figured out on your own what you believe is, is okay. It doesn't really matter. Then we're part of the problem and not part of the solution. And we need to change that. Because we need to be part of the solution. We need to be able to say there's a God that loves you, that cares about you, that forgives you, that wants you to be part of his kingdom. But there's a lot of people that will never find him because we're not willing to invest just a little bit of time to find answers to some questions that aren't really that challenging. But we're not willing to do it. There are answers. You just have to choose to seek them. Let me make a statement about myself and about Community Church. This is one of my Bibles, and it's the biggest Bible I own. That's why I have it up on stage right now. I believe, we believe, that this Bible, your Bible, my Bible, online, version Bible, whatever Bible it is, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe that with all of my heart. We believe it's the source for how to live our everyday lives because it gives us the guardrails that we need to bounce off of to be okay. I believe it was written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and that makes it truth. 
This is my source of truth. Because it contains the words and the stories of Jesus who my faith is in. What's in this book provides me with the hope that I need to make it one more day. And sometimes it's just one more day. But because of this that I can stand on and read and digest and find that truth, it helps me make it that one more day. That doesn't mean that there aren't some tough questions in here, because there are. But I believe when you study through those tough questions, you're going to see the heart of God who loves you unconditionally. Not a God who hates you, not a God that wants to condemn you, a God that loves you. And he loves you so much he sent a son for you, to die for you so you can live forever with him. That's how much he loves you. Let's jump in. All right? Ready? Buckle in, strap in, lock in, because we're getting ready to go deep. This is going to seem more like a classroom environment today, and I apologize for that. And I didn't realize how long I went over at the 9 o'clock service until some of you are in the lobby going, man, that was a long message, wasn't it? I don't know. Here we go, though. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's jump in. Let's take a look at the Bible. When you look at the Bible, here's something you need to realize as you start to open it up and read it. The Bible is a library, not just a book. All right, the, these multiple sections are inside of this book. One book, multiple sections, which makes it a library. Look, look at this picture. This is kind of how it works. You have the Old Testament at the top, the New Testament at the bottom, and it's laid out into layers. You have the law, which are the first five books of the Old Testament. You have the history. You have the poetry, things like Song of Solomon and Psalms and Proverbs. You have major prophets, minor prophets. You skip to the New Testament. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the books about the life of Jesus. You have the history of the church, which is the book of Acts. You got all of Paul's letters, and then you have other letters in the Bible talking about how to live, what to do, how to, how to find Jesus. And then you have the apocalyptic book, which is the wonderful book of Revelation, which everybody likes to, to, to be challenged about. Those are the library of books that are inside of this one book, this Bible. And when you look at a library, this specific library of books, it contains writings and and again, the, the, the things that have been around for centuries, but it was written in, in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. It was written over a 1,500-year period. It was written by 40 different authors from different cultures. And here's the amazing thing about this, this book, this Bible. It's unified. It's unified. You're not going to find conflict with anything within this, this book. You're not going to read something and go, well, something over here in this chapter contradicts what it says. It's not, it's not there. Now, you can make up a few things. You can try to dig under the surface and find a couple of things. There's no controversy as far as this thing being a unified book. And here's why. Because it was written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit used these the, these men, these people that wrote the book and kind of guided them in what to say, and that's why there's no controversy in it. I mean, you would assume there'd be controversy, wouldn't you? 
If I take four of you and I say, write a history of Butler County, going to be a little controversial things happening there? I believe it happened this way. I believe it happened this way. Well, my great-grandfather told me it happened this way. And as you write that through, there's going to be some conflict there. That's just the way it is. There's no conflict in here because of the Holy Spirit kind of guiding what, what happened and what they wrote. You would assume that inside of this book, which sometimes we call a holy book or God's word, you would assume that inside of this book that all the people inside of this book would be holy, like no issues, like perfect role models for us. You know what you find inside of this book? A whole bunch of messed up people. That's what you find. You're not finding anybody that's perfect in here. You're not even finding many people that are good in here. Read through it. What are you going to find? The ugly details of life. What happens when you sin? What happens when you give in to adultery? What happens when you give in to depression? What happens when your life gets turned upside down? That's what you're going to find in here. Real, ugly, true life stuff that's inside of this book. I had breakfast with a buddy of mine who's a business owner in Cincinnati this last week. And I was a few minutes late getting there. And I walk in, and he has a newspaper open over his face reading it. And I sat down at the table, and my first, the first words out of my mouth were, Hey, how are you? Good to see you. It was, they still make real paper newspapers? He said, yeah, they cost about five bucks. <laughs> I said, I didn't even realize that. So I grabbed the sports section. He's reading the business section. And we sat there and read the newspaper for a little bit, which was a very cool kind of, kind of moment. But, but you, you kind of read through that and you go, okay, different sections. If you don't remember newspapers, I know they're not that old yet. But if you don't remember, there were different sections in there. What sections do you have in a newspaper? Comics. <laughs> well, we know where this church is. We've got comics, we've got sports, we've got lifestyle, we've got classifieds, we've got front page, we've got business. I mean, you just have these different, these different sections that are in a newspaper. And let me just ask you this. If there was a headline that said this in a newspaper, what section would this be in? Chiefs run cowboys out of town. Why, why, why do you say Sports. It's because it's our culture, right? I mean, when you hear Chiefs and Cowboys, you're thinking football, which is exactly what I would be thinking as well. Let's go back 150 years. What section of the newspaper would Chiefs runs, run Cowboys out of town? What section would that be in? Front page, baby. Right on the front page. Does it mean the same thing? Absolutely not. Now we're not talking football, now we're talking real life. Now we're talking how to manage in everyday life, what's happening, are, are, they, are they killing the white people, are the white people killing the, the, the indigenous people in this, you know, you've got all that controversy that's happening there. Let, let's, let's take this a thousand years in the future. Someone digs up a newspaper and they read, chiefs run cowboys out of town. What are they thinking? <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. 
Because their culture is going to be so different than our culture is. Because who they are and where they are and what they do and how they live is going to be so different than when that newspaper was written about football today. That's just part of the truth as we read the Bible. I mean, open your Bibles to Song of Solomon. Somebody open a Bible to Song of Solomon. Next couple weeks, bring your Bibles with you. It'll be on the screen. Song of Solomon. Okay, this book is in the poetry section of our library, right? It's part of poetry. And this book is all about love. But it was written thousands of years ago, all right? And this guy is describing the woman that he loves. I mean, the woman that he just adores. Now, you tell me if you think this would be complimentary to you if somebody wrote this to you today. Are you ready? Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 3. How beautiful you are, my darling. That's a great way to start. We like that, right? Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Now, we're good with that. We can stop right there and be okay. Let's keep going. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. If your husband says that to you, ladies, is he out the door, on the couch, whatever? You know, you're just going, I don't think so. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone, unless you're from Kentucky. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of pomegranates. Anybody getting mushy over this stuff? It's beautiful, beautiful, yeah. I mean, I know what a pomegranate looks like. I would never describe a woman's face like that, you know? Doesn't she sound beautiful? Not to us, but in that day, she was hot. I mean, she was... She was beautiful, you know? Here's another way to look at the Bible that we have to take into account. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. Now, chew on that for just a minute, because that set me back the first time I read that, and I really had to dig through that for a minute. John Walton, a professor at Wheaton College and Seminary, said this, We believe the Bible was written for us, that it's for everyone of all times and all places because it's God's word. But it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind or our culture in view. And that gives us some challenges, doesn't it? I mean, it really, really does. One of the challenges is the time frame that it was written in. Again, we're talking thousands and thousands of years ago. You know, probably the oldest manuscript goes back 3,500 or so years. That's a long time ago, guys. Culture is just different, which brings up uh, more challenges. Language barriers, culture barriers, political barriers. And so as we read the Bible, we have to be careful not to misinterpret what the person writing that scripture was intending for us to understand. And that's difficult sometimes, right? And that gets us to this next part, which is this phrase, never read one verse out of context. 
Now, anybody have a favorite Bible verse? That's good. You know, that, that, that's good. You got a verse that you're going, man, trust in the Lord. That's a great verse, even a part of a verse. The, the version app, if you're on there, uh, the version Bible, you might be signed up for the daily Bible verse that they send out every day. Those are great. It's great to get into the Word of God. It's great to read the, 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 the Word of God. But don't base your, your religion, don't base your philosophy, don't base your life on what one verse says without knowing the whole context of that verse. I had a, when I was growing up, my dad did a weekend retreat every Memorial Day weekend. And he would do this retreat. And there was a 100, 150 people that would show up for this thing. And, uh, I mean, he would plan it a year, you know, all through the year. Uh, guest preacher come in to preach. Uh, guest worship leader come in to lead worship. He planned the food, the activities, the events. It was just a great, relaxing, spiritual getaway for a weekend, right? And so he did that every year. And, and one year, somebody from our home church, that this wasn't sponsored by our home church, but this guy thought he had some say in it. He got upset, and so he called a board meeting. Now, if you've never been in a church with a board before, that means somebody is getting a butt chewing, is what it means, right? It means somebody is going to get hammered hard, and it's going to be ugly for a while, and it's not going to be good. That's what that means. Well, this guy called a, a board meeting, and he started in on a bunch of things that he didn't like about the retreat that my dad did. And this is how he ended his rant. He said this, the Bible says that we shall not retreat. So this whole retreat thing is unbiblical and we need to stop it. He was serious. Now, he took a scripture, that's a real scripture. He took a, a part of a scripture and he used it to prove his point in his, his way because of his understanding, but it was taken completely out of context. When you read the context of that verse, he's talking about, it's all about not backing down on your faith, about pushing forward with God's help. That's what it's talking about. Don't retreat. Don't fall backwards. Don't go back into an old lifestyle. That's what it was. Talking nothing about a spiritual getaway. But yet he based his anger on that one verse. So be careful. Because when you pull a verse out of the Bible, you say, this is what the Bible says. Take a look at this chart. It's going to come up here. Every time you read a verse, you need to understand where that verse falls into this chart. All right? So on the very left, you have Genesis. That's where the Bible starts. On the very right, you have Revelation. That's where the Bible ends. In the middle, it's called an interlude. That's kind of the, the space in between the Old and the New Testaments. You've got the flood in there. You've got Jesus in there. So you just have to kind of follow that through from start to finish and see where, where things are. So if I'm going to take this, this Bible and um, I'm going to open, I'm, I'm on the book of Genesis. So where is Genesis? Well, Genesis is on the far left. All right, so, so there's, there, there's Genesis. And um, let, let, let's look at this, tell, tell you why this is important. Genesis 1.29. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. So if you're looking at that, that chart and you're at the very left, you're reading that verse going, well, God wants us to be vegetarians. Because that's what he says there, right? 
He's giving you the fruit and the grains. That's what you're supposed to eat. So if you're not a vegetarian, you're wrong because that's what the scripture says. Don't base your theology on one verse because you're at this point, the far, far left, the beginning of the far left on Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. If you keep going in Genesis down just a little bit, you're still in Genesis, but Genesis chapter 9, you're a little bit further down that timeline. It says this, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. So now what's it say? Now that vegetarian thing that you think is the only thing you can eat is now fulfilled with, now you can eat steak. And bacon. Well, bacon doesn't come till later. But yeah, that's, that, that, that's there, right? I mean, you're looking at it going, so if you stay on the very far left side of that chart and you don't go, well, okay, I, we missed this part of the chart where that scripture is fulfilled. You've got to know in that chart, like if I open to the book of Mark, where does Mark come in? Well, Mark is the Jesus type type frame after the interlude there on the right what does that mean it means it's a whole different ball game than the old testament it means now there's salvation now there's hope now there's life now there's a future and you see that in the book of mark but if you go back to the old testament and base your theology there you're never going to see salvation so you have to know where you are on the timeline sometimes we have to remember that verses are part of a larger story. Because here's the truth. You can find a scripture verse to back up anything you want to believe. You just pull it out of context. You just make it say whatever you want it to say. Right? Like tattoos. Tattoos are culturally still kind of in style. They're a cultural thing. When that happened, I had people up in arms. Scott, you got to read Leviticus 19. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. God forbids tattoos. Really? Let me just say now I've got several. What does that mean for me? That means that I read the context around this verse. And the context is people were cutting themselves and tattooing themselves to other deities, to other gods, to commit to other gods. That's what that verse is saying. It has nothing to do with the picture of your grandmother on your bicep. It just doesn't. That was about worshiping a false god. But yet we can pull that verse out and make it mean whatever we want it to mean. How about racism? Racism has been backed by Scripture since it started in this country. What do you mean? Well, you know, you've got, you've got Cain. Cain, was, Cain killed his brother, and because Cain killed his brother, God cast Cain out and sent him to a different part of the world and, and said, you're no, longer, you're no longer worthy to be here, and here's the mark of Cain, and now you've got dark skin because you're, you're, out, you're an outsider. Well, that's not really what Scripture says. But yet that's where that hatred started boiling up. What scripture says, God says, I love you. I care about you. 
you killed your brother, that's not okay. So there's a punishment with that. But the punishment isn't that I don't love you anymore. The punishment is you have to leave your family. It has nothing to do with racism. But yet that's where they take it because that's what they're basing their, their theology and their life on is that one out-of-context scripture. When you're focusing on a single verse in the Bible, you always have to ask, what does the entire chapter say? What does the paragraph around that one verse say? Because it's probably going to clarify what, what it is. What does the specific book of the Bible say? Different books are, are pretty much focused on different scenarios and different locations and different issues. So what does the specific book of the Bible say? Where is this specific book in the overall timeline of that graph I just showed you. It matters where it falls. Where does it fit? So, what about unicorns? Someone say unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> unicorn. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, what, what a nice unicorn. When I think of unicorns... This is kind of it, right? What's the unicorn's name? Sparkles. Sparkles. Sparkles, Sparkles thank you for coming out. And although, I, Sparkles, I have to tell you, unicorns aren't real. And, and they're not really in the Bible. Okay, they're leaving. We've offended them. Here's the deal with the unicorn thing, right? One of the easier things to answer in Scripture. In the 1611 King James translation of the Bible. Now, some of you might be King James Version fans. I promise you, you cannot read a 1611 King James Bible. It's such old English, you won't know anything that you've just read. Zero. All right? Now, when they translated that version of the Bible into English... There was a, a word, a Hebrew word there, that talked about a one-horned animal. And since there was no other reference point for that, the translators used the word sparkles. <laughs> they used the word unicorn. And so if you were reading your Bible in the 1611 King James, which you can't understand, but you got that far in the 1611 King James, you would have seen it says unicorn. In later translations... It says a one-horned ox, or just an ox. That was an animal that was prevalent a couple thousand years ago that we don't see much today, but it was prevalent then. And again, you have to look at where you are and what's happening around you culturally, context, to understand some of those things. And as much as we like the controversy, and I love controversy, as much as we like the controversy of things that are in the scripture that we're going to get into a whole lot more of in the next couple of weeks, here's the bigger part of the scripture that you need to understand. Because the scripture all comes down to this. For God so loved the world. Do you know it? Do you know the scripture? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the more important thing that's in this Bible. Controversy is okay. 
It'll dig, get you to dig in and study. But my faith is based on what's recorded in this book about the person that saved me, which is Jesus Christ. This book gives me that option to read about it, to study it, to find out how much he loves me, and he loves me a whole lot. And he loves you a whole lot too. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now for everyone in this room and everyone watching this this service. God, may you please allow us to feel your presence, to feel your love, to study through your word, to see exactly what you did for us. God, may we not forget about those things and we make them a priority. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.